Hola, I'm Adela Yelton, and thank you for joining us at Latina South. Latina South welcomes friendly conversations with Latinas and friends who live, work, and play throughout the South and Southeast. Let's hear about what Latinas are creating and how they're making good things happen for their families, businesses, and communities. We'll enjoy some savory bits of wisdom while we share about what it takes to thrive in life while holding on to the best of what makes us Latinas in the South. Welcome. Once you feel that calling to do something, don't don't shove it aside. Follow it and don't have regrets that, that you didn't pursue that. Today, we welcome Laura Mervartian. Laura is making great things happen in her family by being the chief memory maker, a role she approaches with great planning and intention. She's also a dream maker and tells us about how she puts her 20 years of negotiation experience to work by helping talented women realize their dreams. She's both Mexican and Armenian, and as a Latina, she tells us about what she likes and what she doesn't like about living in Atlanta. Well, hi, Laura. Hola. Good morning. How are you? Hola, buenos días, Adela. ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien, gracias. Welcome to Latina South. I appreciate you being here. I'm so excited to be part of your podcast. I'm th- this is just an honor to be one of your initial guests, and I'm so uh, excited about what you're doing. Well, thank you. Well, Laura, I know the first time we met, you called yourself a memory maker and a dream maker, or someone who helps others make their dreams come true. I want to hear more about making memories. What goes into that? What does that mean to you? I think that I, I realized I was a memory maker um, a couple of years ago. I think it's just being intentional about having amazing experiences together. It started with, you know, I knew that I wanted to go to China before I had my first child. And so I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get pregnant until I go to China. Went to China in 2000. My son was born in 2001. I knew that I wanted to go to South Africa on a safari um, on my 50th birthday. And my husband would say, well, maybe we could wait a, you know, a year or two. And it's like, nope, this is the time to do it. Like, you've got to have intention. You've got to put it on the calendar. you got to make it happen. Get rid of any excuses to make, to create those moments. And so we went, all of us together as a family, and it was one of the best experiences that we've had. So that's one of the, first, one, one of the themes is put it on the calendar and make it happen. The other piece that I say is, you know, experiences over material things and comfort. The comfort part, the lack of comfort to have experiences, I really learned from my family and and one of my sisters in particular, who's just tough. Um, Again, we grew up in Minnesota. So if you want to go out and and experience, you know, snowmobiling, ice um, ice fishing, um, seeing the Holodazzle Parade in January, you're going to go out there and suck it up and not complain about being cold. You know, we take the kids, bundle them up and and just have that experience. It is about waiting in line for hours to go see, you know, this beautiful masterpiece of art at a particular museum when you're traveling. It is about waking up in the middle of the night and waking the kids up to go see the comet or the, you know, meteor shower, waking them up because there's a movie being filmed in our neighborhood. It's those type of experiences that it's so easy to just say, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to sit back or, oh, there's going to be too much traffic if we go to that event or, oh, it's going to be... 
you can come up with all these excuses. There's always a million reasons. <laughs> yes. And, and my family has come up with all of them. And I will have to fight through that to say, no, we've got to do it. And, and when we travel, it's not about relaxing. It is about we've got to go see the world and see what's out there. And sometimes it can be, I can be too much. Um, I recognize that, but I just feel like I don't want to regret not seeing something that we may not have an opportunity to to experience if if we're not taking advantage of that particular moment. So I think it's about being intentional and and really seizing, um, taking advantage of opportunities. And your family will appreciate it over the long term. And I know that you know, they'll have these wonderful experiences and memories. What are your favorite memories? The trip that we took to South Africa was absolutely one of the favorite. Seeing my children, you know, see lions right right next to them in, in their natural habitat was just this amazing experience, seeing the look on their face. But the other amazing experience was when we invited Michael's entire family to our home for the holidays. And um, Michael has five siblings. His father's Korean. His mom's Scots-Irish. It's a very diverse family. Um, one of my sister-in-laws is from Sri Lanka. The other one is from Vietnam. Uh, another one is Jewish. And I'm Mexican-Armenian. You know, we just have this this big, diverse family. And so it having them in our home for the holidays was going to be the first time where I got to impart our traditions and the way that we celebrate the holidays. And so they came over for four days. And again, we went all out, go all out and have create amazing experiences for others so that they can have amazing memories. And it was a lot of work for, for those four days, but it was this lovely, lovely time. It was an ideal, it was a hallmark moment, really. And I also was able to impart a lot of like my Latino uh, traditions by um, we recreated the posada um, and we had tamales and, you know, we did the Nochebuena. And so it was just this, this lovely Norman Rockwell Hallmark moment of, of mm-hmm. experience. They, they engaged in it. They were ready to participate and, and we were, you know, happy to, to, to host and, this was also the last Christmas that um, Michael's mother, she was, she was, she was um, ill. And this was the mm-hmm. last time that the entire family was together. So it was really th- this um, great opportunity that we had to give everyone um, a lovely memory over the holidays. It's, it's a lot of work, but it definitely paid off. Well, it sounds like definitely a lot of hard work behind the scenes. But when you go from, you know, having the idea to actually experiencing the moment, what's that like, experiencing the moment? Well, you know, sometimes when you're in the moment, you don't really know, (laughs) but it's the gratitude comes from when you hear others talk about the experience that you help Mm -hmm. create. So one of Michael's brothers put put together a, a photo book of the holidays, and he made a copy for every family member. And that just kind of memorialized that experience. And it just highlighted that it was special to him and his family and that it it was special for everyone. To hear my children talk about their their trip to South Africa and some of the other experiences that they've had. Actually, my son just sent me a a text saying, hey, I need to go back to Tikal, mom, uh, because of a podcast he heard. And we were in Tikal when he was younger. We woke up at four in the morning to go through the jungle and hike up um, one of the pyramids so that we could see the sunrise. And so getting that text from him today is that's where the satisfaction comes in. Mm. These experiences just 
keep giving. They, you know, material right. things will go away, but these experiences, they just keep getting better and better with time. And how meaningful to know that you helped make it happen. You created so much meaning and memory for others as well. Oh, well, that's, I love that. I love it. Tell me more about your background in Latina identity and traditions. I was born in Mexico, and my, my father is actually half Armenian. So I am a Mexican-Armenian. My last name is Mervartian, um, many, is Armenian. Many last names that um, are Armenian end with I-A-N, so Kevorkian, Kardashian. Okay, yeah. You know, those are names people tend to recognize. Um, and um, then I came to the States when I was eight years old. And I, we moved into a small town, um, about 4,000 people in uh, Minnesota, St. James, Minnesota, smack in the middle of the winter. There were a lot of Latinos there working in the chicken factories and in the fields, but there were very few Latino children at the time. We were the, we were, my sisters and I were the, the only ones in school, really. There was an, one other family. So I, I grew up in a basically white town. Um, I didn't really get to practice my Spanish that much. I didn't learn a lot about Latino music or culture, except for what my parents were listening to. Um, and so I didn't get a lot of that richness of, of our culture being in the, in the U.S. until I went to graduate school. Um, even in college, I wasn't around many Latinos at all, um, especially Minnesota was, was, was not very diverse at that time. It's gotten more diverse uh, in, the, in the recent years. Um, not until I went to graduate school did I meet other Latinos, and I learned a lot from them about the music, our history. And so, um, you know, it was it, my path to my Latino identity has been, has been interesting. I've always thought of myself as Latino, as Mexican, being very proud of that. But I didn't realize how much I was missing until I went to graduate school and I met people from California and, and New York. And I saw all the things that they knew that I had no clue about. And that path still continues. I still, you know, I still gravitate towards or enjoy meeting people who uh, know more about, you know, the Latino culture than I do. And, and I enjoy learning. Where did you go to college? Was it a large college? College was a, a small private college in St. Paul, Minnesota. We had 500 people in my class. There were very, very few Latinos, and, and the ones I knew were foreign exchange students. I was fortunate enough to get the Woodrow Wilson um, Fellowship, and that actually, so part of the program, we could attend a university during the summer to prepare for graduate school, and that's when I met Latinos from all over the country. They didn't really know what to think of me. They, they, they were like, what? You don't know this music? You don't know these terms? You don't know, and I was like, "No, I've been, you know, I grew up in Minnesota, small town. I don't know any of this." And and initially, I did feel like a little bit of hostility, if you will, as if I was not embracing my culture. But it's just that I just wasn't exposed to it. So that that summer will really, really um, stayed with me in terms of how how unwoke I was, if you will, about uh, being Latino in in the U.S. And still connecting with with our roots, because for for me, the only way I was connecting was with my parents at home. You know, the food that we ate at home and, and speaking Spanish at home. But I wasn't embracing the music or 
Um, you know, I took Spanish in, um, I minored in Spanish in college, so I was able to learn about literature and history, but I wasn't around other Latinos um, that could, where I could live the, the current, you know, history that we're living, that we're creating right now. So it was an interesting transition for me, but um, but it was eye-opening and, and, and I welcomed it. And at the time you were in the Midwest, and what led you to the South? Because you're currently in the South. What, what, what led you here? My first job out of grad school was uh, at the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City, and I was definitely going to take that job. That was an amazing opportunity. But um, after a couple of years, I realized that Kansas City was just way too small for me. I needed a kind of a larger city for, for my interests and, and you know, for me to feel a little bit more connected to what's happening. Michael, who is now my husband, was in law school in uh, Emory in Atlanta, and one of my best friends lived in Atlanta. So I decided to to move to Atlanta. It was in 1995, right before the Olympics. Again, I moved here because I just, Atlanta was starting to grow. There were a lot of opportunities. Atlanta is very diverse. Uh, th- this is the most diverse place that I've lived in. I knew I needed that to, to kind of keep growing. And so what do you like about living in the South? So I have very mixed feelings about living in the South. Let's keep it real. <laughs> yeah. We'll start with the, with the things that I, that I love about living in the South. I actually love that there's real history here. The civil rights history, you know, the Civil War. There's real history here that is palpable, that still impacts us in the in the nation, and and this is where it took place. And so you can you can learn about it. You're surrounded by it, and so it's it's kind of in my mind ever present, and it makes you think a little bit more about how you're living and what you're doing. Growing up in Minnesota, I wasn't surrounded by that type of history. There were a few markers about Native Americans um, that lived in Minnesota, but I didn't ever have have the sense of being surrounded by by that type of history. And, and uh, you definitely feel it here. I also love how within a five-hour drive, you can be in so many amazing places here in the South. We're close to Nashville, Charleston, Savannah, the Florida coast, the Georgia coast. There's so many beautiful places and the topography can be so different from beach to the beautiful mountains. And I love to explore. And so um, we're taking day trips, weekend trips, week trips, whatever, just to go go explore the South. And of course, growing up in Minnesota, I love the Atlanta weather. I am now a certified <laughs> winner. Do you miss the snow? <laughs> I love sunny winter days and I didn't mind the cold so much. Much, but what I did mind was driving in, in, in the conditions. And you never knew whether an event was actually going to take place because there could be a storm, there could be, you know, just bad weather. Um, right. And, and yeah, sometimes it would get really, really cold. The coldest I remember was negative 18 below. So yeah, 18 below zero. That's not the windshield. That was just the actual temperature. And I was waiting for the bus to go to my internship. And I just thought, oh my God, I can't wait. If, if the bus doesn't come in the next minute, I, I can't do this. Um, and luckily enough, I was saved by the bus, but it, it was, it's challenging to live in Minnesota in the winter. So you don't miss it too much. No, I love to visit and, and come back to, to the warm Atlanta weather. Oh, then you can really appreciate it. <laughs> yes. I agree with you right here, smack dab in the middle of civil rights history here in Atlanta. And you mentioned uh, liking that part of being in the South and also 
the nature and just having access to all the different types of environments. What are some of the challenges of living in the South? I've had several challenges. The religious aspect of, of the South, how many people are, 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 are Christian in the South and how that's, that's just kind of in your face. I'm not a Christian. I'm a humanist atheist. And to live in a place where it's just assumed that you're a Christian, especially if you're Latino, is is something that is just an, a constant thing that I've had to deal with. The Christian beliefs and culture are just seem to be more present here than in other places that I've lived in. And so that that has been a challenge for me. How do you deal with it or how do you manage it? Well, I have dealt with it by just accepting it uh, for the most part. It actually took me a while before I was really open about the fact that I was uh, an atheist and a humanist, that I that I wasn't a Christian. I, I wasn't just going out and, and telling everybody because I just thought, mm, I'm not sure how this is going to be accepted. So it's almost like I had to come out. Very personal and it can be private. So, but And you decided to, to share that. Well, yes, but but everybody else is who's Christian is is very open about their Christianity and just assumes that you're Christian as well. I remember one day I had a breakfast meeting where somebody prayed before breakfast. I had a lunch meeting. That person prayed before lunch, and then I had a dinner event, and and there was prayer there too. You know, in one day, and so this is just something that I just accept, and I you know, I just kind of go with it. There was an incident at work where I just thought it was not appropriate for there to be literature and um, it was a little bit too much at work. And so I, I did um, make sure that that was removed from, from the office. Otherwise, you know, it's just something that I've, I've had to navigate through. And sometimes it's, it's a little bit more challenging than others. I'm going to back up a little bit because I know I started out the interview asking you a question about two things. One was what goes into making memories, but the second, helping other people realize their dreams. I want to know more about that. T- tell me about that. You know, I'm, I'm a dreamer. And I think that good things can happen to me and bad things can happen to me. And so I for the bad things, I prepare and try to mitigate any risk. And, you know, I'm, I'm risk averse. Um, and for the dreamer, I think that why can't I be successful in in a business or in music or in writing or whatever dream it may be. And so because I'm a dreamer, I I tend to, you know, identify with other people who have dreams. And I'm never going to be the person to say to someone, no, that's not going to happen for you or no, that's not going to work for you uh, or no, you're not going to make it. I'm never going to be the person that says that. If, if I feel a like I can identify with that person, what they're trying to achieve, I will, you know, see how I can help. I've developed a lot of business skills. I've been a negotiator for over 20 years of my career. And so I will use the business skills to, to try to help others achieve their dreams. And so right now, I actually represent talent and I'm working with um Yami Cambrone, who is a you know an artist, she she does murals. She's very well known in the in the Latino community, and she's just just lovely. Yes, very I've talented. seen her murals, and they're beautiful. Yes, just very talented, just lovely, and just has big dreams. And so my focus then is how I, can I support someone like Yami 
to get to that next level and achieve those dreams. And so with my business skills, I've been able to work with her and help her do all of the business aspects of her business, develop her merchandise line, get all her agreements in place, get the pricing for all of the different, um, you know, speaking engagements, art um, commission, everything that she does. We're working on her book. I saw that Yamie had a story to tell, and it's a beautiful story that everyone needs to hear. I think that people will benefit from, just like many of us. Many of us have great stories. Yamie has this way of telling her story, and to me, my role in helping get that story out will help our entire community. And so I just said, this this needs to be a book. We have a plan, and we execute that plan. And she's just been so thrilled to have someone to kind of um, be on her team and champion what she's doing and help her along the way. I was also working with an artist, a musician, a singer-songwriter in the same manner. Um, You know, the talent, they want to focus on the talent. They don't really want to focus on all the business things that need to be done that are very important that you need to have in place in order to really get you to the next level. And so I have found perfect way to to use the skills I've developed to really focus on developing, helping young Latin, especially women, create wealth, protect their assets, and achieve their dreams and tell their stories. So if I can use my business skills to help young women achieve that, um, it is extremely satisfying. And so that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Wow. And that's very much needed. And, and, and it's good to have that peek into the things that it takes, right, to support and promote and help someone realize their dreams. And but you you did develop some skills over 20 years. And tell me a little bit more about that part, because you've got some mad negotiation skills. I haven't sat on the other side of the table from you yet. (laughs) Uh, But I do want to hear more about that. Well, I've it's been a fun fun road for me. I started out in as a financial analyst. Then I moved into IT. I was the director of telecommunications at Turner Broadcasting for about seven years. And that's really when I started to negotiate uh, because I was responsible for all the procurement. I really enjoyed using my, my finance um, background and developing my negotiation skills in an IT environment. So that was great. But then I took a completely left turn, left turner and went into the wine business. And um, my husband and I bought the rights to the state of Georgia for a wine franchise. So then I was negotiating real estate deals. I was I developed the, um, the buying process for I actually became the wine director for the company. So I developed the wine buying process for the company. And I was negotiating those deals for 154 stores that we had nationwide. And then um, after eight years of doing that, the company was was um, was sold. And uh, I went back to corporate and I went back um, with Equifax and I was negotiating um, data deals in Canada, the US and Mexico. Um, And that was, again, a great experience to work on data deals that would take a year or two to to complete. Obviously, you want to finish them as as soon as possible. The quicker, the better. But these deals were pretty complex and would take a long time. Through those experiences, I developed these negotiating skills. And actually, my role at Equifax was called a senior negotiator. And we would go to training on how to hone our, our negotiating skills. And we would have our peers help us and advise us in that. So mad negotiating skills when you were negotiating wine contracts. 
Did you learn about the wine? That's what I want to hear yes. about. <laughs> yes. So, what? Tell me more. You know. Yes, that was so fun. I just thought, you know, if I'm going to go into business, uh, I want a widget that I want to learn about yeah. and that I'm excited to to be around. And the wine business was very interesting. So absolutely, we would sit down. Uh, I learned this business side of wine, but you also have to learn when you're buying wine, you obviously have to taste your product. So we would taste um, no more than 18 different wines per per sitting after after 18 your palate really can't taste anything mm-hmm. but um and I, I took a class um to be um to, to learn more about wine and i'm not a sommelier but i definitely know a lot about wine and when you are training your taste buds over a period of eight years you definitely you definitely learn a lot and you're able to identify you know your palate it definitely gets more sophisticated after eight years of of a lot of wine tastings. I am not a sommelier either, but I do love wine. And maybe someone who has a taste for red blends, do you have a recommendation? Oh, red blends are beautiful. And actually, um, well, I love Bordeaux's. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's a, those are beautiful red blends, of course. Um, and red blends, a, a blend is always great to serve at a party because then no one's going to complain that, oh, I don't like Pinot. Oh, I don't like Merlot. Oh, you know, right. it's, it's just a blend. <laughs> Um, so I always recommend that people have their favorite wine, whether it be a Cabernet Merlot or, or a, um, a Pinot Noir, and then have a blend as an option as well, because then people aren't going to be, you know, they're not going to complain, if you will, that, that you don't have their particular um, varietal that they that they uh, tend to enjoy. But again, Bordeaux's are wonderful. Um, that that's that's the go-to blend for sure. Okay, we've talked about a lot so far, but I don't want to leave out the topic that you also write songs <laughs> Tell well, me about that's your, part of my your musical side <laughs> yeah in, in, in addition to these mad negotiation skills tell me about your musical side well you know I started I I really don't have musical talent um I actually I played the flute from fifth grade to graduate school and I was horrible but I love being around music, and so I, I stuck with it. But um, so I know how to read music and and all of that. But um, I actually focused on writing lyrics, and so I started writing lyrics, and I connected with my children's um, piano teacher and voice teacher, and so I I asked her if if you know what she thought of the song I had written. She's a middle-aged woman like me. She loved it and she actually wrote the melody and she really turned it into a real song. Um, she's so talented. And so she said, do you have any more? We started this beautiful partnership um, because she is so talented and melodies just just flow. <laughs> you know, um, Christine Love is, is her name and she just has beautiful metal- melodies that that she comes up with. And she says that, you know, she has all these beautiful melodies in her head, but she, she really can't come up with lyrics. So it's a perfect partnership because I'm always thinking about uh, lyrics and, and how to put certain emotions and certain events, kind of how to, how to relay those through, through words. And so we connected. And then we also um, then found an amazing vocalist in Veronica Maldonado, who has this amazing voice. And so we approached um, Veronica, who she used to have a recording contract when she was 19, and she really hadn't explored her musical. Um, she hadn't really gone into the studio since that time. And so when we approached her to see if she would record our songs, um, she was excited about it. And so we went into the studio, 
and we had the most amazing time. It is, I mean, when we recorded one of the songs, which is called Fearless Woman, it was one of the most special moments of my life to be in the studio with these women and just hearing what we had created together. And it was very powerful and in a moment I will never forget. And and that is the payoff of, of creating right there, that moment, whether anybody else hears the song or whether we, anything happens with the song, of course, I would love for it to be, to be a hit, but just that moment right there is something that, that will stay with me for a long time. It was extremely satisfying. Wow. And that's so inspiring. And I've listened to that and, and such talent and, and what went into writing those lyrics for you? Well, okay. So fearless woman was actually inspired by my 18 year old niece who had, um, she took a gap year and she traveled, um, she did the, I think is it the El Camino Trail from France to, to all through Spain as an 18 year old with another 18 year old friend. And wow. I just thought, gosh, would I let my daughter do that? And then I remembered that I, after, after college, I traveled in South America by myself for um, six weeks. I did it. I can't hold my my daughter back. I, I have a, a 16 year old daughter. And so that was the inspiration. And so fearless woman is really, I first wrote it from the perspective of the mother. Then I thought no one cares about middle-aged women. Um, so I reversed it and flipped it and did it from the perspective of the daughter. And it really is about, um, one of the lines says, you know, I won't let my fears do you wrong because I, as a mother, I don't want my fears to hold back my daughter. I need to mm. support her and let her experience the world. Of course, in a smart and safe way, but you need to let go. Um, and so that was the inspiration of the song. And um, and I think that Veronica did such an amazing interpretation of of that. But um, but that's what Fearless Woman is about. And also, there's another line where um, part of the chorus says, "You know, say yes to everything." Um, that comes from one, um, LaShonda Rhimes, she had a year of saying yes, saying yes to things that she normally would, would not say yes to. And then also Amy Poehler had a book called Yes, Please. Again, it's about saying yes to things that we may feel we're not ready for, that that may make us uncomfortable, but but that are good for us. And so that's also part part of the chorus and part of the lyrics. Well, Laura, I appreciate you being here and you have such an interesting background and a variety of things that you've put out into the world for the rest of us to enjoy. As we close this conversation, do you have any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners? For me, what what has really worked is to once I have an idea that pops up in my head, whether that is to start a business, to start a nonprofit, to run a marathon, to write a song. Once that comes into my my being and I feel it, then I I have to follow through. I can't have regrets and I can't disappoint myself. I have to do right by me. And I've been able to do all of those things and it is because I then start surrounding myself with people who will support me and teach me and help me achieve those things. So I think it's once you feel that calling to do something, don't don't shove it aside. Follow it and don't have regrets that, that you didn't pursue that. 
um, I've been very fortunate where I've, I've been able to do that and, and see many of those things actually be actualized and be supported by, by people that helped me achieve that. And it is an extremely satisfying, satisfying feeling. And, and there are many more things that I want to do. And, and I know that um, it, it's just about not having regrets about what you didn't pursue. And, and that, that to me is just one of the key things that gives us that, that satisfaction and makes us feel comfortable where, where, where we are in, in, in our life. Well, thank you for those words. And they are inspiring to me and I'm sure inspiring to our listeners. Laura, keep helping people making their dreams and make those memories. I, I can't wait to, to hear more. And I'd love to have you back sometime. Well, thank you, Adela. And you keep doing what you're doing, which is getting these these stories out there, which are so, so interesting to hear. And it's just lovely to see all the Latina women in our community who are doing amazing things. And you're doing amazing things. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Latina South. And I'd like to thank a few people behind the scenes that help with the show. And that's Jennifer Joyner on social media, Paul Brown with sound support, Cooper Works with logo and graphic design. And thank you. The best way to support our show would be to listen, subscribe, share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to our show. Hasta la próxima. See y'all.